Hello everyone, welcome to the third episode of Cricket with an Accent. We have done a couple of episodes in the past. The cricket season is kind of peaking up with the Ashes starting next week and India having a busy home season that's wrapping up against Sri Lanka. I have two guests joining today. Uh, one is uh, Sanket Singhbal uh, from Goa, India, a very passionate and known Australian cricket fan on Twitter. And then uh, my good friend uh, Sabi Hassan, you know, who I played cricket with for more than a decade, mostly against him. Uh, originally from Pakistan and also co-founder of the parkpassion.net website, which is uh, the source of all Pakistani-related cricket news on even ES, uh, even uh, ESPN Cricket for uses them as a source. Welcome, guys. Hello. So, uh, let's start. I mean, there's a busy cricket week going on. Uh, India, Sri Lanka have lost few days to rain in the first test. Okay, so staying away from the controversies, not trying to stir the pot. I mean, we all know the sh- history between Ravi Shastri, the present coach, and uh, Saurav Ganguly, who is uh, ch- in charge of Eden Gardens. Uh, so you think this kind of wicket could be good for India as they uh, go to South Africa? Sabi, you want to take that? Sure. Uh, I think I, I really feel it's a good situation for South Africa. Uh, it might be Shahasi versus Gangui battle, but uh, I think India bowling attack is uh, probably as good as it has ever been. And uh, if they start preparing for South Africa trip from Indian series, I feel their bowling can do really well in South African condition. I'm not sure how their betting would do well over there, but I think bowling wise, they'll be okay. Okay, I think the last two times India went there, I think they won a test when Tendulkar and Dravid played their last series. I believe it was 2011, they lost the series. And uh, last time around, uh, Pujara and Kohli scored a lot of runs and I believe India lost 1-0. Uh, the other batsmen, you know, I think only Rahane uh, came good. So, so you really believe India has the attack this time to take 20 wickets regularly? Definitely. You know, if everybody is fit, I think Mohamed Shami is the main Indian fast bowler in outside subcontinent. So he needs to be fit. Uh, and uh, with Bhavnesh Kumar and Yadav, with help of spinners Ashwin and Jadeja, I think they can do well. Uh, I think it would be their batting problem. Uh, I'm not sure how they how they will do against Flander, Stain, and Markle. Uh, but again, South African bowling, I'm not sure whether they will be fit also. So it all depends uh, what kind of combination South Africa would be playing as well. Yeah, South Africa has some comebacks themselves because uh, De Villiers is coming back from the long injury layoff and uh, Stain is also back. Yeah, Stain is back, but we're not sure that he will be fit enough at that time. Uh, he has been out for, for a very long time. Uh, with De Villiers back, definitely their batting would be strong. Uh, but I really think, you know, if Stain and Fender is available and fit, then it would be very hard for India to, to win even a test match in South Africa. Yeah, let's see. That'll be an interesting challenge for the likes of Pujara. So, Sabi, uh, I think Sanket is having some connection issues, so let's keep continue on this. So, what do you think of the Indian batting combination? Uh, I know uh, there's always this talk in Shikhar Dhawan has been scoring a lot of runs in the recent series against Sri Lanka. But do you think with South Africa and then England, all these stores coming up, you think India should have gone with the dependable Murli Vijay instead of Shikhar Dhawan? Or do you think you cannot ignore a player who scored runs in the last series? Yeah, it's tough to ignore someone who has scored, but... Uh... While saying that, I think Murli Vijay have uh, scored as well. So it's a good competition uh, between him, uh, Shikadavan, as well as Rahul. So I think India, they have three good openers. Uh, but depending on South Africa condition, I think Vijay might be better than Dhawan. Uh, because the ball swings over there, especially early part, part of the inning. So you need, your technique needs to be really good. 
so Pujara coming at down, uh, I think that that's a, that's a really good uh, position to have. Uh, he's I think Indian best player uh, in tough conditions in test matches. I think uh, uh, with, with come after him, I think it would be Kohli, uh, Rahane, and not sure will be playing at number six probably or Sharma. So. Okay, uh, I know in the past uh, when Dhoni was captain, you were a little critical of these bits and pieces cricketers that Dhoni used in test format. How much have you seen of Hardik Pandya and do you see this is someone who can be used as a weapon in test cricket? I have used him in, uh, I have seen him in one day cricket. Uh, I think he's a, a very decent uh, fourth bowler at, at this moment. But I don't think he will be very successful um, as, a, as a batsman uh, in test matches uh, in tough conditions. And he has not, he doesn't have that much experience right now. But having him in the squad would give him, uh, give him an option to play with five bowlers. Okay. Fair enough. And uh, going back to the current series, what we have uh, someone like uh, Lakmal. You think that was just the condition or he is someone who can be a world-class bowler, uh, the Sri Lankan opening bowler? I think he's just an average bowler. You know, uh, conditions must have been tough and that's why he took the wickets. I don't I don't see any anything special. I mean, he already holds uh, 130 to 135. Uh, he swings the ball if, there's, if the condition is helpful. But I don't, think, I, I don't, but I don't see anything special in it. So yeah, let's uh, change the topic to the ongoing uh, Ashes. Uh, actually, the Ashes series that's going to start uh, next week. So who are, who do you fancy in this series? I know Australia won it last time at home. And uh, what are the chances this time around? I think this would be a very interesting series uh, and very close one. I feel it probably would be like it was back in 2005 when Australia went winning it. And it was a very close series. Um, I fancy Australia winning it. Uh, maybe with a margin of 3-1 or or 3-2. Uh, and the reason is because Australia is playing in their home condition and uh, with a crowd sport, I think they will be, they should be winning it. But I think it will be very, very close because both teams are very, very similar. Maybe England have an advantage of having an extra baller because they have Moeen Ali who, uh, who is a very good batsman. So they, they usually play five ballers. On the other hand, Australia will be play, playing six, four and one combination. So I but I still feel uh, Australian betting would do well in their own condition. Okay, and uh, I know we a lot of time talk about Indian bowling struggling overseas, but uh, something, uh, do you agree that Broad and Anderson, and particularly Anderson, he's someone who has struggled outside of England? Uh, and uh, if that's the case, uh, how does he cope up with the Australian condition this time around when he's closer to the end? I think he'll. I think he'll do fine. I mean, he has been doing very well. Uh, people say that he has been struggling outside England, but I don't think so. I think it's more of a, a ball issue. You know, England use dew ball when they play in England, and most of the other countries use the, the Kookaburra ball. Uh, I think he will do fine. It's very important for England uh, uh, that Broad does well as well because he, uh, you know, he has not been doing very well um, even in English conditions. And since stroke is, stroke is out, he will need to step up. And if he doesn't, then he can have a hard time. Okay, for the Australia side of things, let's talk to Sanket. Sanket, so are you happy with the selection that Australia has announced a squad for the first two tests? Is that a good squad? I know you are pretty confident, but uh, do you like what you see? Uh, no, honestly, I'm not too pleased with the squad selection, to be very honest. I think uh, the decision to go back to Sean Marsh and Tim Payne, I think that is a pretty backward move, to be very honest. Because Sean Marsh is someone who has always been in the stop, who has always had a stop-start career, 
He's been in and out of the side, but he's never really made a great deal of impression. Uh, and he was picked specifically for Indian conditions, uh, with, with an eye on his ability to play spin bowling and all that earlier this year, but he couldn't quite make the impact. I mean, he played a couple of wonderful innings, uh, saving that test in Ranchi and also that innings in Bangalore in the first innings. But his overall average for that series was 19, which is just not good enough, especially for someone who's 34 and is going to be turning 35 very soon. And uh, he doesn't have a great test record. He doesn't really have the first-class numbers uh, uh, either. So it doesn't really make sense when you have guys... So why, why do they have him? You think, could it be the experience? He's still been around. So is that something that's making the case for him? sure about that because I think a lot of it is down to the Western Australian influence perhaps with uh, Justin Langer I think is a big fan of John March and he's been uh, talking I think he's been uh, calling for his inclusion for quite some time uh, he's been you know uh, and you also got uh, Cameron Bancroft who I think is a deserving selection from Western Australia but uh, the other two selections are Tim Payne uh, has been selected because he's supposedly the best wicketkeeper in the country. But uh, if, if they were to pick the best wicketkeeper in the country, then I'm not too sure why he was not picked earlier, especially in the subcontinent where you need a better wicketkeeper than more so in, than in Australia, where I think the keeping is probably the best, uh, probably the easiest job in the world in Australian conditions because the bounce is true and there's not a lot of swing or seam movement and uh, not a lot of spin either. So I'm not too sure why they've uh, gone to, for a specialist keeper in Australia after... Um, for the last couple of years going for batsmen who keep a bit and all that. I mean, I just think that it doesn't add up. Okay, that, that, fair enough. So if you were making the call as a selector, who would have gotten the nod over Sean Marsh for the middle order? I think Glenn Maxwell hasn't done anything wrong to be dropped. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Glenn Maxwell, but he had a very good series in India. I think he was the second highest run scorer after Steve Smith. Uh, average 40-odd. I think he's the only player after Smith to average 40-odd. I think none of the others even touched 30. So, and he also had a decent series in Bangladesh, didn't get a lot of big runs, but I think he occupied threes and he's got a uh, 120 ball 38, which is quite uncharacteristic of Glenn Maxwell, which I think showed that he could play the other game that we perhaps don't quite expect him or associate with him. But I think he showed that he is adaptable and he's, he's got a decent first-class record. I think his, his first-class record is actually very similar to Sean Marsh, but he's, what, like seven, seven, eight years younger. So, I think six, seven years younger. So... And he can also bowl a bit. He's an excellent fielder. And I think he's probably more naturally suited to that lower middle order spot because he has shown that he has the ability to also play the waiting game. But he can also, obviously, if you are in a strong position and you need someone to score quick runs, then he can do that as well. So I think he's just an ideal player to come in at number six, number seven and mm -hmm. take that at, uh, away from the opposition. Especially in Australia, where I don't think uh, Australia will be needing a rare guard actions too often from the lower order. I mean, I don't want to sound cocky and all that, but... Uh, I think uh, the pitches are going to be quite bad batsman friendly, so I ex I think the role of the number six, number seven batsman will be more to sort of uh, get the scoreboard moving, and I think Glenn Maxwell would, be, would have been the ideal man. And moreover, he's the incumbent. I don't think he has done anything wrong to be dropped. So I personally would have picked him. And for the wicket-keeping slot, I would have actually gone for Cameron Bancroft, who's who's been picked as an opening batsman, but I think he can keep wickets as well. He uh, did a pretty decent job in the last couple of Shield matches. He opened as well as kept wickets, but I obviously that is not ideal at test level. I think I personally think he can do a decent job batting at number seven because 
He toured with Australia A side a couple of years earlier uh, in the subcontinent and he played spin bowling really well. I think Rahul Dravid was the India A coach and he, he was spo- uh, speaking glowingly about his abilities uh, to occupy the crease and play spin bowling. So I think he can definitely do the job in the middle order as well. Uh, so I think Max- Maxwell and Bancroft at 6 and 7 and I would have stuck to uh, Matt Renshaw at the top of the order. I think that is a disgraceful decision to drop Renshaw. I think he was the uh, the inning, the kind of innings that he played on uh, in India on a rank turner at Pune and then in Bangalore. Yes, he ha- didn't have a great time in Bangladesh, didn't have a great time in the Sheffield Shield, but you don't drop a youngster who's performed so well on his first tour of India, where even seniors like David Warner and Sean Marsh, who's picked specifically for those conditions, have failed. So uh, I'm, I th- I'm very disappointed with how he has been handled. Okay, fair enough. So that's some real good insight on what the Australian middle order can be. Sabi, do you agree on uh, Sanket's point regarding Glenn Maxwell as a test batsman? Um, it's a tough decision. Um, I'll start off with the opener, Renshaw, uh, and I agree with Sanket. Uh, I just don't know why he has been dropped. I have seen him heading against Pakistan when uh, Pakistan toured uh, in Australia, and he was really compact against spinners as well as against fast bowlers. And I was reading it online, and uh, it mentioned that. Uh, three matches in domestic level. Uh, I don't understand. I mean, if, if, if someone has been doing well in international cricket for now, and even if he has failed three matches in domestic, what does it make a difference? Uh, I think he should have been opening with Warner, as he has been doing. And uh, uh, coming back to Sean Marsh versus Maxwell, uh, I think Maxwell should have been scored. Uh, and I th- he, he is a good player, uh, and I think very good player in subcontinent condition, uh, where he can take the game away if the ball is turning. But uh, and he gives you the fifth bowling option as well. Uh, but I'm, uh, you know, I, I can see why they have picked um, Sean Martin, even though uh, he's a very good player of spin bowling, uh, Sean Martin. But he's a, he's a regular opener as well. He has not been doing very well um, against uh, as an, an international player in the longer format of the game. But coming at number six, uh, especially you know uh, when the ball ball is almost you know the other team is usually getting ready to take the new ball if if you have some good partnerships at the top of the order. I think it's not a bad decision. I think Sean Marsh at six is pretty decent decision. Um, the only decision I I don't like it. I think it was the um, opener Renshaw. Okay, so let me ask now you both same question and go to Sanket first. And Sanket, you are a big Australian cricket fan. So, how does the treatment of Usman Khaja fit in? You think they have you know treated him unfairly because he scored some runs? His average is back in the forty-five range in Test cricket, which is pretty good. So, start on Khwaja then. Yeah, I think uh, his treatment has not been ideal, but I think I think it is justified because uh, Khwaja has too big a weakness against spin bowling in subcontinental conditions. I mean, you could say that he hasn't been given a fair run and all that, but just watching him bat against spin, just analyzing his technique, he just doesn't come across as a player who who will ever succeed unless he makes uh, drastic changes to his game, which would probably hamper him at home as well. So I think I think horses for courses is not a bad way to go about it as long as uh, the message is clear. And I think they've been fairly consistent with Kawaja because the moment uh, they've come back home, he is immediately back in the side. There's been no question marks over his place in the side uh, at home. So I don't think I don't have an issue with dropping him in the subcontinent just because I think that if anything, they did him a, a service by dropping him in the subcontinent because if he had played in India and if he had failed then that might have even hurt his chances for playing at home so I think it was a fair decision to be honest and he played he got the, got an opportunity in Bangladesh and uh, didn't do himself any favors so I think it's a fair call I think what is more perplexing about Kawaja is 
the way he was handled from the ODI side because he was in the ODI side for the series against Pakistan last year and then he was suddenly dro- arrested apparently for the series against uh, New Zealand to go and prepare for India early uh, on that uh, training camp in Dubai but when he was not actually going to feature in the plans for the first 11 in India then why was he arrested from the series I mean I know he is a part he was a part of the squad and he needs to uh, sort of warm up and all that but uh, then he couldn't quite get the opportunity to perform in New Zealand then he was immediately le- left out of the Champions Trophy squad without getting a fair opportunity to pr- prove his credentials uh, in ODIs so I think that was slightly hypocritical because he was arrested apparently for the India series that he ended up playing no part in and uh, he wasn't given a fair opportunity in the, in the ODI set but so that okay all right Sabi your take on Khaja Um, you know, when he made a comeback, especially in one day in T20 cricket, uh, he has been doing very well. Uh, I just don't uh, agree with Sankit ab- about uh, playing horses for courses uh, in different conditions. Uh, if, I really feel, you know, there are definitely techniques that make a difference, but confidence is, is the major thing. And as an international player, if you have been doing well in one condition, you can do well in other conditions as well. Uh, without giving him a proper chance, in sub- subcontinent condition, I think it's it's wrong to say that his technique has not been very well against Bengali. Uh, I think they should have played him in India, uh, give him at least three, three test matches and see how, how he does. Uh, if he fails, then you know you can go back um, and, and not play him in subcontinent condition. But you have to give him a proper chance. Uh, he's, a, he's a very good player and I, I think uh, important part of this Ashes squad. Uh, if Australia have to do well, uh, him, Warner and Smith have have to do bulk of runs. He, he is absolutely a very crucial member of the Ashes squad. I just don't think that he has the game to succeed in the subcontinent. You make a fair point about the confidence aspect, but I just think the confidence thing gets overplayed a little bit these days because I think at the end of the day, it comes down to your sheer skill level. I'm not saying that Kawaja doesn't have the skill, but he has been given enough opportunities in the subcontinent. He's been on a couple of tours of Sri Lanka. He's been a part of several Australia A tours and he's failed repeatedly in these conditions and he was given a lot of chance in Sri Lanka. And he, he looked miserable. I think it's not just the lack of scores, but he, he just didn't look comfortable at any point of time. I mean, even David Warner doesn't have a great record in the subcontinent, but he still managed to get a few starts and show that he can at least sort of belong. And maybe if he uh, converts one score into a big one, like he did in Bangladesh, then maybe he could go on a roll. And then he immediately went on to score a second hundred. So Kawaja has just never really given that impression that he, that he has the ability to tackle those conditions. So, I mean... I take your point. I mean, horses for courses is obviously a slippery slope and I think there are definitely uh, valid arguments against it as well. But I just think these days where there are very there are probably a handful of batsmen, probably even fewer than that, who can actually play well in all conditions. So I think you go on the days of the likes of Dravid, uh, Tendulkar, Ponting, Steve Waugh, Mike Hussey, Clark, uh, uh, Sangakara, all that, all those guys, I mean, uh, now you only got probably Amla, A.B. De Villiers, I think, Jahalis Kapoor. Those are, the, those are probably the only guys who are left from that generation. Nowadays, I think you're getting a lot of limited over stars playing test cricket. And I think they just probably don't quite have the same skill set or probably not the right kind of temperament to play well in all conditions. They just don't quite adapt as well. So I think horses for courses is something that should be considered quite seriously in this day and age. But yeah, you make a fair point. I think there are valid arguments against it. But yeah, no, that's, uh, you guys make uh, valid points. And let's see, Khwaja, I think we all agree, will be in the Test 11. Will he be batting at 3? Is that 
Yeah, I personally am tipping him to be the leading run scorer from either side he, because he is the informed batsman in the Sheffield Shield. Steve Smith got a couple of scores, but he has had a patchy time of late. He didn't have a great series in Bangladesh. He had a very poor ODI series in India, and he didn't hasn't had a great Sheffield Shield. Just had a couple of good innings. David Warner is always uh, a little bit inconsistent. I mean, he's very good at home, but even then, he hasn't had a great run in the Sheffield Shield. Khawaja is the guy who's been very consistent, scoring runs consistently, and yes, he'll be batting at number three, and I expect him to top the uh, top the batting charts across both sides in the series. Okay, so let me ask now, Sabi, uh, you know, since we were talking Australia, let's switch to some of the English side. Uh, do you think uh, there's enough batting in this side to take the Australian attack on like Mitchell Stark and these guys in the Aussie conditions? Uh, you know, first of all, they will be missing strokes. Uh, a player who, who, you know, world-class all-rounder, uh, with him in the squad, Moeen Ali coming at eight, it makes a huge difference. Since he's not there, uh, now they have to play a, uh, one extra baller uh, to concentrate that. Uh, I think uh, they have problems in their batting, but the good thing about their batting is that uh, they have depth in their batting. So Moeen Ali coming at seven, you know, a proper batsman playing at seven, that, that makes a huge difference. Um, Cook, Root, uh, of course, would be the key. Uh, but the other players, uh, they are new and... Uh, uh, they have not been doing very well in their even own conditions. So it would be, it would be, I would say, you know, uh, the reason I think England would do well and their betting would do well because they have depth in their betting. Uh, and Australia problem is even though they have very good ballers, but they don't, they're lacking the fifth baller. So that, you know, that might be a tricky one. And five test matches, uh, you don't know whether Stark would be fit enough to play all the five test matches. I think that would make a huge difference. If Australia have uh, Stark, uh, Cummins, and Hazelwood play all five test matches, I think they should be able to win it. Uh, but playing five test matches in a very short time uh, for fast bowler would not be easy. Especially Cummins, who's been known to be injured. As well as Stark, who has been uh, injured as well. Okay, so Sanket, you were saying something about Mark Stoneman. I saw he scored some runs uh, in the lead-up matches England have played. Some runs in the warm-up matches. Warm-up matches. Alistair Cook hasn't really had a great time in the warm-up matches, and I think he's. I think Alistair Cook is a bit of a fading force. I personally don't think he'll have much of an impact in the Ashes series. He's obviously the uh, leader of the side, uh, even though he's not the captain. He's the senior most player in the side. I think he's probably the most test uh, cap test uh, most capped test cricket in the world right now. So his his experience will obviously be the key to them. But I, I'm not too sure Alistair Cook is the same force of the bat that he was a few years ago. And I don't quite see him piling up the same runs um, match after match, series after series these days. And uh, he hasn't had a great run against South against Australia, I beg your pardon. Ex apart from that series in 2010-11, the colossal series from uh, Alistair Cook when he scored 766 runs at an average of 127. Other than that, he, he hasn't he actually hasn't scored 100 against Australia, I believe, other than that series. And... So he's definitely got his work cut out. Yeah, things it's, it's interesting point you make, Sankey. Things change fast for a batsman. One or two bad series can ruin a year. Because this is a guy who was in the short conversation of one day taking on Sachin Tendulkar's uh, record of test runs. And now, you know, like you said, he's fading away. So things change very quickly. So before we conclude the Ashes discussion, uh, Sanket, uh, Sabi said uh, Australia will win the series, but it can be close, it can be 3-1 or 3-2. Uh, what's your take on the scoreline? I know it's still early, but give a prediction. 
I think the key rests on the first test match. If England can walk away with a draw at the GABA, and GABA is uh, the fortress of Australian cricket for the last 25, I think 30 years, they haven't lost there since losing to the Great West Indies side in the 1980s. So if they can sort of walk away with a draw from that, and then the next test is at Adelaide, which should be a day-night test where the conditions will probably be swing and seem friendly, which is which will be more to the liking of English fast bowlers. So if they can walk away with a draw at the GABA and then win the Adelaide test, then all bets are off. But if Australia do the usual thing and just roll over England at the GABA, then I, I think uh, it could be a long, hard throw for the Englishmen. Because uh, once again, even though they have a bit of a breather at Adelaide, the third test is a game of the WACA, where, uh, again, England don't have a particularly great record and it is known for its pace and bounce. The problem, I think, that... No, I don't think Australian side is good enough to be uh, to be predicting a 5-0. I think 3-1 is probably the safe bet. Uh, but again, a lot depends on the first test match. If the first test match, if England are defeated badly, then... I think usually the draw conditions are in Adelaide in the past, but now it's a day and night match, so who knows. But Adelaide is a place when even the weakest of uh, subcontinent teams would go and they would probably come close to a draw. So, yeah, but things have changed, you're right. Just, just uh, Sakib, uh, just uh, on Sankit point, uh, draw at the GABA, I don't think that's going to happen until, uh, unless uh, there's some weather uh, problem there. Uh, you will have a decision, I think, of all test matches um, if there's no rain. Thanks, Sabi, and thanks, Sankit, for the... A wonderful chat, and we shall return soon with another episode as the cricket season is hitting its peak. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.